Hello, welcome to the Flow Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Ran Bowen, and I'm thrilled to have you join us on this inspiring journey. Together with my incredible co-host, Joe Stewart, we delve into the minds of extraordinary movers, thinkers, and teachers, exploring the depths of their experiences and discovering how they find their flow and much, much more. But before we dive in, we'd like to take a moment to acknowledge and honour the traditional owners of the unceded land where this episode was recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our deepest respects to the elders both past, present, and acknowledge the emerging leaders within their community. We are very excited to share our conversation with Deanne Love of Hoop Lovers, a true icon of flow. Deanne has long been a source of inspiration for Joe. Starting from her in-person classes here in Melbourne to observing how she's continually evolved her offerings, always leading with creativity and integrity. Deanne has been a full-time hoop teacher since 2009. She was previously a primary school teacher and also holds a business degree. We hear about how she combines knowledge from all these fields with her passion and excitement for life itself. Deanne was also an early adapter to teaching online and has lots of insights to share about how to connect and communicate, as well as how to sustainably manage your own energy. It's a fantastic conversation and Deanne has so much wisdom to share, so let's get into it. All right, Deanne, love, thank you so much for meeting with us today. It's great to get the chance to speak with you, so perhaps you could just start by telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up course. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like it's been a long time coming. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. Where did Deanne Love grow up? My first instinct is to say on dance floors, which is not very specific, but it is very exciting and beautiful. And by that, I I mean, after doing a lot of study, I was a bit of a nerdy kid, uh, lots of study. I shot out in the 90s onto dance floors and realized like, oh, this is my home. Okay, great. So lots of ecstatic movement and dance. And it was the 90s, so club vibes back then. And yeah, then I had a teaching degree that took me overseas. I was in Tokyo and I was teaching full-time as a primary school teacher, still on dance floors on the weekends or any dance where I could get my body onto feeling a little stuck, a little wondering, is there anything more to life? And then a hula hoop rolled into my life and everything changed. So what was different about hooping versus dancing? If you've already had that freedom of expression and like that joy of moving with community, like what extra element did the hoop add? Well, suddenly I had a partner, a partner that was well, non-verbal. So <laughs> they weren't going to step on my toes. They weren't going to tell me what to do, but they were going to guide me in ways that just felt completely new and also challenging. If you've ever tried to manipulate props, sometimes it does feel like they have a mind of their own, but you have to create this kind of synergy where you're dancing together. I think as well, one cool thing about learning to manipulate a prop is if you're not feeling creative, it mm. like gives you this something you can just practice yes. that you will get better at just through repetition. And then it's so satisfying when that movement that you had to think about a lot just flows. So it's like there's always something you can work on. Truly. Absolutely. It's, it's never ending. Yeah. But I sucked in the beginning. 
<laughs> Truly. Like, I think we look at anyone who has kind of come to a point of mastery, even with a trick or whatever it might be in music or movement, and we kind of falsely think that they were always that good. And that is not the truth for me, at least. Everyone's been a beginner at something, right? And so is that what drew you to hooping, like to teaching versus performing, having had that like journey of mm. feeling crap at something and then like having those moments of like mastering, like I've got this. Is that like what you wanted to share? Yeah, that feeling is like no other. And some people describe it as joy or flow or bliss or, or these awakenings that you might have. And because I had a teaching background, that was, it was my thing anyway, I kind of feel like it was just this natural progression of those skills and support and this real desire to share what I had been experiencing with others. Hmm. And I guess what inspired you to actually start sharing online? Um, well, I, I left Tokyo. Actually, there was a, a huge earthquake and tsunami and life got turned upside down and there was big wild times and I landed in Melbourne and I'd actually never lived in Melbourne before, but it was instantly supportive and everyone was up for having a go at anything. And so I was like, wow, I found a new family. This is incredible. But I had also been kind of taken away from my other students. And then I was noticing that there were humans all over the planet that I could share this with. And so that's kind of where the online thing started. It started on YouTube in the basement of an old warehouse that I used to live in. And it kind of yeah, just launched and skyrocketed from there. It was almost like a happy mistake in the beginning. Yeah. And it was such a like really awesome time in the hoop world because I think like I met you, I was trying to work it out like 12 years ago when yeah. I started and that was like pre-Instagram and there was like this emerging and a new movement style and like this really supportive global community. And it seemed like a lot of people were sharing themselves and sharing their dance and kind of sharing their uniqueness like online through this forum with their hoop in a way that like maybe they wouldn't have been comfortable to yeah. before. Like yeah. what are your memories of that time? Absolutely. It was such, there was so much like experimentation and blossoming and we didn't, we weren't out trying to sell our latest course or market that, that that hadn't even kind of become a reality in the online space. We were really trying to connect as a global community and we would kind of spy on each other or the little bits that would leak out through blogs or, or YouTubes and, and be fascinated and inspired by each other's moves and costumes and performance opportunities that were happening, say, in LA or Berlin or New York. And yeah, it was really about, like back then there wasn't a lot of, there were no such things as reels or, it, you know, 60 second, try this and fast, faster, harder, better. It was really just all of these kind of grassroots, really organic, creative happenings around the planet. And a lot of it, like back then there was only one or two hooping specific blogs and they were like the mecca that you would go to to learn everything. Yeah. It was it was a really beautiful time. Thank you for taking me back on that little <laughs> track back on memory lane. Oh, and like thank you for being my way into that world. And something else that was like awesome about it as well it was kind of a small enough community that 
the people who were kind of the rock stars of the world, <laughs> like you could still meet them and do classes yes. with them and just yeah. to share Deanne won hoop teacher of the world oh. one year. Like, so I'm like, oh, I have the world's best hoop teacher. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> wow. I have goosebumps. That feels like such a distant memory and yeah, life online and in real life has definitely changed and and the hooping world or the flow arts world has expanded so intensely which excites me to no end like that was always the vision more bodies moving more people creating more humans tapping into their own self-expression no matter what with a prop no prop on a dance floor alone in their living room that was always the vision and now yeah, the goosebumps come from like, wow, it started with all these little planting of seeds and now it's just grown. Like everywhere I go, I kind of bump into a, a human still who will be like, are you Deanne Love? I've got a hula hoop. It's sitting in my living room. I promise that I'm going to practice. Like, the, <laughs> So I'm just like, wow, there are so many hoopers around the planet now. Do you think over lockdown times where there were no dance floors, a lot of people picked up their hoops again and like got back to like lounge room dance parties, party of one <laughs> plus hoop? Yeah, definitely. And I think for a lot of us, or for me, actually, definitely, that was the first point of kind of contact with hooping, party of one in the living room. And I guess, yeah, as as festivals grew and dance floors grew, like hooping became a thing and, and maybe humans would see someone across the dance floor or over in the corner of a festival with a light up hoop and, and be inspired. But a lot of us started or gave it a crack in a little living room or in private because like, what if I can't do this? Or, or what if I'm not as magical as that hooping fairy at the festival? So I think Definitely, I I heard from lots of hoopers who were like, "I used to hoop back in the day," and because it's a go to that can you can it can be a party of one. You can learn so much on your own and just working things out and having a go and playing with your own style. And I feel like as well, I noticed this in aerial yoga, and this mm. is feedback that people have given me, and it's especially people who might be having like body image struggles or PTSD or another reason why being in their body is not a comfortable and happy experience. Mm. And like focusing on moving their body can sometimes be like too intense or like having this external tool like a hammock or a hoop it like means you can feel into movement and you can enjoy flow and it can be this way into experiencing like play and fun and ways that you can feel good in your body because you've got this one step removed external focus as well like do you get those kind of stories too absolutely endless accounts of humans who thought they couldn't dance or didn't know how to move or said that they were the uncoordinated child or really didn't have trust or, or there were layers of, of other things happening within their body and their nervous system that held them back from expressing themselves in ways. But the hoop, yeah, you summed it up so perfectly. It's like you can you can use it as a tool to navigate so many different elements and where as people may go to, a, say, a choreography class or a dance class and they're really relying on their own physical and creative resources, but their body, their body's in it. And that can bring up a lot of stuff for many of us. Whereas sometimes you can just 
in hooping, just throw it all into the hoop. And the hoop can be this this prop that is external to you, but can almost like, as we said with the partner dance, like lead you to different pathways of creativity. Mm. And there's this visual aspect as well because there's LED hoops and most hoops are pretty <laughs> sparkly. So like you're making all these amazing patterns and colours and you're in the centre of all of that. Yes, absolutely. There's, it's really unlimited and I think that's what we've seen in the growth of the hoop community is that whatever style you choose, whatever, if you're the sparkly hooper or the, light, the lighter hooper or you want to hoop 10 hoops on your body or you really want to just kind of take it all back to just that really yummy dance floor move. It doesn't, there's, it doesn't matter. There's a space for you. Mm. And so just to swing back to the online hoop community, like a lot of the positives and a lot of the connections came through social media. And like, I know your business is very much an online business. There's the flip side of that as well and all the insecurities that come up with sharing online and just what a massive time and energy suck it can be. And making videos, I find, is especially so much time and energy. How have you learned to navigate social media and online sharing in a way that feels sustainable for you? Mm, That's a really great question because it has shifted a lot even just sitting here thinking about how it all began and it seemed so innocent and easy and there was no treadmill or push to constantly create anything. It came from a place of wanting to share and teach. And so if I don't hold on to that place, if I don't stay connected to the sense that I'm sharing this for the greater community, then I think I would get really lost and overwhelmed. And of course, those times have come up and I've had to reconnect to my personal practice and the reasons why I share and teach and make sure that they're not some marketing strategy or like some need to to pump it out because that's what Instagram tells you to do or keep up with anyone else. Because yeah, that kind of stuff will definitely strip you of your creativity and joy. And then what am I doing it for? I've lost touch with that original seed. So yeah, the way that I navigate it is I actually imagine that my students or my best friend or humans that also really love this flow and movement are like on the other side of the camera. And I think that has been, well, I guess I want to say that's been one of my teaching skills is just being able to hopefully make humans feel like we are in the same room together. Like there really is that connection not just like pumping out information for the sake of content creation. Like I think you are really amazing at that. And beyond the emotional aspect of teaching and sharing, there's like something weird that happens with my brain when I'm seeing something on a video versus being in the same room with someone. And I find hooping particularly hard to learn online. Like it's, I don't know, it's like you have to do one more kind of connect different cogs and wheels in your brain versus when it's just right in front of you and you are really great (laughs) explaining what's happening and showing things from different angles in your videos as well to kind of overcome that brain barrier of just like, oh, what just happened? (laughs) Truly. Yeah, it is challenging. I'm actually still shocked and stunned that it grew from that one little YouTube video of how to hula hoop on your waist and and that there was this kind of demand and excitement around learning online. 
And as we've seen, that's that's grown in all areas. Online teaching is a huge thing for a whole bunch of reasons, but it is really hard to move with a teacher online. And I have definitely developed my teaching style, my online teaching style, because it is quite a different skill to teach a human, as you say, or to be connected and and flow with another human in real life versus this imaginary, like it's a setup of, you know, my classes are not always live. So I'm just imagining that my students are there. It's been a huge learning curve for me. So did you, do you watch back your own videos to kind of see if stuff is clear or how have you refined being able to explain something complicated in a way that seems simple? Mm, I would love to say that I, I mean, I do have online courses, which are paid courses and I, I really, I spent a lot of time teaching in person. So I built a lot of skills around that. And I, I did spend a lot of time in the mirror just <laughs> with myself and my personal practice trying to unpack and, and break down how I could translate that online. So even though it all just seems like this really flowy, creative process that, that came semi-naturally to me, when you're asking me to reflect on it, it's been decades. It feels like decades of work. And so do I watch back my videos? Sometimes, sometimes they're super cringe and it's really hard for me to watch back, like more so the the social media stuff, because yeah, it does feel like it's being pumped out. And But anything that's a paid course on hooplovers.tv, I definitely watch back and edit. And I sit with Masa, my creative partner, and we go through and make sure there's no mistakes. And it feels like it's a valuable offering. Yeah. And do you feel that your your experience teaching in person really helped there? Do you think it'd be harder for people sort of deciding to just launch into online without much teaching experience? Do you think that'd be a lot? Look, it's not impossible, but funnily enough, I have gone on with my partner, Masa, um, my creative partner, to open a creative studio on the Gold Coast. And we see a lot with with the growth of online teaching, we see a lot of humans come in with these incredible ideas and these wonderful ways of of wanting to to teach others, whatever the modality is. It's not always movement. It could be anything. And you can often very quickly, and maybe it's because I've been in that space of teaching online for a long time, you can very quickly spot those who have had a lot of experience and really understand their stuff and and have practice for the camera and for online. And then those who think it's a piece of cake and it's it's not, it's, it's another skill. It's just another skill, like so many that you can definitely work on. But teaching in real life, there's just so much that you can draw on. And if you, you weren't doing that, then I guess you'd have to have a lot of practice or personal practice. Yeah. Because when you're teaching in real life, you get real-time feedback if someone hasn't understood because they're right there and then you can explain it in different ways or like yes. even use hands-on feedback if they're comfy with that. Yes. So I guess for online, you've had to have had experience of that enough times in real life to kind of know the pitfalls and yes. just be like, I'm going to explain this three different ways because this bit can be confusing. Yeah, yeah it's such a blessing to be able to witness so many humans going through the process of learning and everyone is quite different, but there are some common mistakes, I guess, or, or tr- areas that needed to troubleshoot. And so, yes, because of so much real life human connection, being able to communicate that online made it a bit easier. <laughs> and one thing that I think really stood out about your classes is you're really good at 
helping people like learn the movements like properly because sometimes just a little change of an angle or like not completing a movement and really extending into it, it looks so different. And like a lot of hooping is kind of about that flourish and kind of just helping people like do their own best version of those moves. But also you are like all about celebrating like what's really unique about someone's movement and helping them feel really comfortable and really confident and really encouraged. Like what strategies do you have like as a teacher to like help everyone shine? Yeah, that's so beautiful to ask. My first instinct was to say that I love witnessing bodies. I love, it it just feels like it's it's a pure joy for me, but it's also a superpower as a teacher or a leader to be able to really give someone your full presence, even if you do have 30 someones, like even if you, there's, and maybe that came from my primary school teaching days that you can hold space or all of these humans, all having a completely different experience. So yeah, I think of it less as a strategy and then just more of just something that is that I have learned along the way is to witness people and that it takes a level of vulnerability and, and teaching can be quite intimate and not everybody wants to be watched or soaked or so how to do that in a subtle way that also offers suggestions for movement but then also expression. So like a layer, like for example, and there's just so many, honestly, there's so many different ways to do it, but someone may not be, let's say, neatly executing a hoop trick. (laughs) But I can see that they're getting so much joy and so much freedom in their movement from like moving around the room or flicking their hair or wearing a certain type of like, or having the hoop off their body. There's so many variations. It's unlimited. And so just by witnessing that, we can give feedback and say, why don't you try this? Or would this feel better? Or I can I noticed that you really love doing this. And we're humans. We love to be celebrated. We love to be witnessed. And for someone to see and hear us and, and give that feedback, I think that's kind of the teacher-student joy. I think it's interesting as well because in some ways, like say you explain something to a room of people and no one got it, it would be easy to go into like, oh, I'm such a bad teacher, like what am I doing <laughs> up here? But to like flip it and to like be in their experience, mm. I think it really helps like you not be too hard to yourself as a teacher because it's not all about you, like it's yes. all about them. Yes. Yeah, that is such a big journey, isn't it? And it's like something that you just learn along the way. It's kind of these make or break points where, yeah, is it about me or is it about everyone in this room having their own experience? And and we're all hooping. We may not be. I think like if you hold tight to, and and I've witnessed many teachers do this and go through this kind of like, like an ego death really where you it all breaks apart and you're like actually I'm just so stoked that we're all moving our bodies and and expressing ourselves and enjoying no matter what the hoop size or what the trick or all of these kind of like standards that we somehow have to falsely hold ourselves to we're all having a great time and we leave the class or we leave the the experience having expressed ourselves fully that's that's the winning point for me. That's that's pure joy. And I think that's what people actually come for. Like probably mm. the people coming don't know how many things you had on your mental list of like what you wanted to get through in that <laughs> session. Like, like totally. people want to be guided through an experience really. Yes, absolutely. I think this is something that I say to a lot of teachers is I want you, you know, 
I'm really big on preparation. Like I want to go in there feeling confident and I feel like that confidence for me comes from the creativity and the preparation before a class, which sometimes, you know, may take a few moments. It could take a few years of building this this kind of class structure. But then I kind of want you to set it alight. Like I want it, just burn it, burn it all. Because if you are so like strict on that structure, then where's the flow? And the sweet spot is when the flow and the structure meet and you will just feel so blissed out as a teacher when you can find those those moments of flow and structure meeting. And the same for hoopers, that learning, the trying the trick, trying the trick, trying the trick, and then you kind of just soften and allow yourself to enjoy it. They're the sweet spots. And what other like advice do you have for new teachers starting out to kind of find their voice and to find their style? Mm, that That's a huge one, finding your own voice, because we're going to look to our mentors or other humans that we think are cool or doing a good job or a great teacher. And it's hard not to, like, you, we're not going to completely sever all of those threads of inspiration, but really understanding and uh, I share a teacher training and, and the first module is not learning all the tricks and knowing how to plan classes. That comes later. The first module is really about understanding who you are and how are you the bright pink sparkly rainbow teacher who's like really up for lots of energetic joy and banging beats or are you the more like yin, gentle, really like connected with tech or because students – are there for that fuller experience. And yeah, so it's getting to know you is step number one. And I saw a prompt actually when I was doing a little bit of pre-interview Instagram scrolling. It was like a series of five questions that you asked your teachers to be, and I'm putting you on the spot because you don't have this in front of you. But (laughs) I guess this is more about online sharing and marketing and Mm. feeling comfortable with that. Like how do you encourage people to share their stories? Like what kind of questions do you get them to ask themselves? It's unlimited. There's no one set. And I think this is something um, I'm going to steer us a little bit off that, like in another tangent, there is so much information and must do's and you should do this and check off this list in terms of marketing or teaching online because every a lot of people have gotten into that space of I can help you have the best course. I'll be the best teacher. I'll be, but There is no one right way. And wouldn't it be beautiful if there were just five questions that every teacher needs to answer and then they've just got it sorted and everyone will sign up for their classes and it just doesn't work that way. And so doing a lot of of self-reflection and personal practice as well. As a new teacher, I mean, we all do it. We're going to connect with our mentors and learn from them. And there are some modalities in this life that don't want you to steer off and do anything different to what the teacher training is. But I am like, go, just take what you need, leave the rest behind and go on your hugest journey. And if I'm a part of that, great, let's connect and and play and flow. And if I'm not, then I wish you so much exploration and joy because it's a huge big world out there. So I I wish I could give you five questions and <laughs> just simplify online marketing and strategy and authenticity and self-awareness. Just yes. five questions, got it done. And these five e- easy tips, you too could be. <laughs> Someone is definitely selling that course online, but it's not me. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> and I guess another layer to this as well, like the more you are sharing authentically and vulnerably like Mm. the more challenging it can be to put that out there online especially if there's just tumbleweeds 
and it doesn't get the kind of response that, you know, you might have been hoping for. It's so true. And that's like we've spoken about real life versus online. Instagram versus reality, it can be a real challenge because when we have humans, we are connecting, we're having that that feedback, but online is, it's a wild place. <laughs> mm. And it can be a very random place. It certainly mm. is. Yeah, you never quite know. Your best work, you can put all of this energy and time and love and and then you land it somewhere on some platform on the internet and there's silence. <sighs> <laughs> so I guess even though we've established that there's no one way to do things, <laughs> I, I do have a question. If, okay. if you are starting a, a brand new business mm. as, as a beginner, what, what do you think the first thing that you might try to do to sort of set yourself up for success? I would block out all the noise. Probably not the best answer, but there's so much noise online. And I, because I started, well, I started Hoop Lovers what feels like a really long time ago and pre- noisy, noisy internet. So a lot of the learning about who I was or what kind of business I wanted to create, it seemed really simple. It was like you quit your job. Don't do this. Whoever's listening, don't do this. You you quit your job and you just go and do what you love. It doesn't feel that simple anymore. That and But however, what I feel like that is still a massive message, but all of the nuances and all the the challenges are not kind of padded into that message. There's a lot of, yeah, there's so many challenges in online business. What I would do, yeah, definitely block out the noise and keep your mentor, like real true mentors, not just some big wild and noisy internet marketer, but your real true mentors close. And again, just get to know yourself and how you work because the I wake up at 5 a.m. every morning and I drink my green smoothie and then I go for my run and like the perfect routine is only perfect if it's for you. Not everybody can wake up at 5 a.m. and drink a green smoothie and go for a run and not everybody works best that way. Understanding when your creativity peaks, when your energy flows, how you like to set up your day all of those kind of like self, I know self-care is, is pushed around a lot, but true, deep, actual self-acknowledgement and care, that's what's going to keep your business flowing, particularly if it's you. Like if it's just you and or you and your partner or you've got this small team, you're the one doing the work. You're the one that you need to sustain. You're the one that you need to really take care of because if you're not there to show up to teach or play or then who will? So take care of yourself. (laughs) Hi, Ran here. I just wanted to tell you about something I've been working on lately and I'm really excited about it. Making a podcast is a lot of work and a lot of that work is around sharing on social media. Now, you may not know this about me, but for a guy who works on about a million projects, I'm extremely lazy. That's why I've spent hours upon hours working on creating Sound Made Scene. Sound Made Scene is a way to create amazing short videos or audiograms to promote your podcast on social media. You can use Sound Made Scene to create engaging videos in just seconds. I've also been working on some cool AI tools so that Sound Made Scene can help recommend the best parts of your content to share with the world. 
I'm still busy building Soundmade Scene, but if you'd like to learn more, head on over to soundmadescene.com and sign up for the mailing list. All right, let's get back to our conversation. And I guess if doing your own business and doing your own thing and like living that dream is actually taking you further away from a life that fits you, like what's the point? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's someone else's dream or it's someone else's course or it's someone else's marketing slogan. Like, is that really what I want to do? And it takes, it does take a lot of discernment. It takes a lot of like shutting out the noise and trying to quiet because we, a lot of us live in this world now where we're scrolling through so many messages at lightning speed and and our brains and our bodies, our nervous system can latch on and be like, is that what I should be doing? Is that what I should be doing? Is that what? And, and everyone looks successful online, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I do notice there are other people as well who really share a lot of like vulnerability and it's also like I find if I'm feeling excited about life like that's actually when I feel like sharing like if I'm having a like low energy feeling crap day I so I don't have social media energy to share about it like I'll be sharing that one with a friend (laughs) (laughs) it's true and I guess it's like really know what it is like Another thing is having boundaries online. I have lots of beautiful humans who have come to the online space and and felt either spat out or have become so algorithmically successful and not known what to do with that. And my biggest tip is always to have boundaries. You don't need to reply to every comment. You don't need, there's nothing that you actually need to do. Like all of this stuff you can get sucked into, but you have to have a choice. And if it is, if it is supportive to you, to you as a human, not necessarily your business or your bank account or all of those things, but to you as a human to share online vulnerably or openly, then do it. But it's not a necessity. You're not going to get more likes, loves, um, shares. It's like just be so mindful of how we're being swayed by this this online monster. And also sometimes all those loves and likes and shares, they don't actually translate to helping your business. They do not. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) And we can watch as someone who, look, I'm a Capricorn, I'm all about strategy and flow, but someone who has watched the online space boom and particularly social media, like social media does not equal if, if, if you need to pay rent and if you need to like we live in Australia, it's a really expensive place. If you need to purchase a house and food and take care of your family and your own health, you need to make money. And likes and shares on social media does not directly translate to money. So I, yeah, if humans were kind of wanting to, like I look at so many incredible hoopers and, and they're getting so much attention and so much joy on social media, which I'm like, yay, yes, do it. I hope that they're also creating other structures to support themselves in real life. Mm. Yeah, total side note, but I I saw a story about a a TikTok influencer who had something like a million followers and had a live event and literally no one turned up. Heartbreaking. I know. I I just got like devastation because it's not real. I mean, (laughs) and there are some really clever and creative humans who are creating pathways from that TikTok to their bank account or whatever is supportive for them in, you know, whatever their needs are in in real life. But that's a creative strategy too. There's so many elements to it. It doesn't all, this doesn't equal that. 
Yeah, it's not that simple. And now there's a, a new social media network to... <laughs> I see that. Another mm. space for us to share, share, share. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's pretend new. It's like... Yeah, yeah. it's just sort it's of still... Instagram without the pictures, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, still like Mark yes. Zuckerberg in charge. Like, <laughs> that doesn't feel new to me. Mm. I used to feel like I was an early adopter, like back in the day, anything internet-y. But now I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go play with the cat. I don't. I just don't need to be there right now. So, yeah, choose your own adventure and battles. <laughs> well, that really leads into the next thing I was going to ask you about because as well as uh, teaching hooping and teaching hoop teachers, like you've had a pretty diverse range of other businesses. Like you had a plant shop and you have your media studio and I'm sure you have like a thousand more ideas in your head as well. Like how do you decide which ones are the winning ideas and do you set yourself like a kind of timeline to feel like something is starting to take off or is it all about the mood? Like how do you know? It's really all about the mood because some of them seem, yeah, I, I couldn't be a business mentor. Let's just put it that way. I'm glad that I found hooping and I mean – I'm sure some people do look at me or look to me for, well, not business advice, but maybe structuring businesses. But I've had some wacky ones and it really has been about the mood. I think the first, what really kicked it off when I lived in Tokyo, I was walking through with Masa, again, my creative partner, this whole, it's always good to have other humans that are okay with your wackiness as well and support that because that's that's a big part of it, having other people that are around that are like, yeah, this is wacky, but let's do it. Let's just, why not? You know, life is, I think Masa said to me today, everything is AI now, nothing is real. And I was like, okay, we're just going to roll with that. But I think the first one we created an online back before the Etsy days, before people were shopping online as furiously as they are now, which seems like it's hard to believe that ever existed, but it did. Like we, I was walking through this incredible art market in Tokyo and I couldn't believe that the rest of the world wasn't able to see this mind boggling art. And so we created an online, like an e-commerce space, which was wildly expensive to create back then called Tokyo Made. And we were selling Japanese artists amazing creations to the rest of the planet. And that was a huge learning curve. And after that, I've, yeah, mostly been in in service businesses. As I said, I'm wildly grateful that a hula hoop just randomly rolled into my life and and that became my passion. Yeah. Like, I feel like that was a particularly complicated first business to set up, like an online (laughs) business with lots of different vendors and like money from all over the world and postage and lots of logistics. Do not, yeah, business advice here, don't do that. (laughs) Do not do that. (laughs) Yeah, I think sometimes the mistakes and the, yeah, the pitfalls are the greatest creativity. You're working stuff out all of the time. Just wondering like what's going to happen next. And I think it does take, like we've been using the word wacky, it takes courage, it takes risk and, and I guess creativity. Mm. It must give you a great you know, feeling of uh, freedom or I guess you know, that you're, you're, you're kind of taking matters into your own hands rather yes. than. Yeah, definitely. I really think that has been the drive the whole time because, yeah, I do want to say it definitely wasn't making us rich. <laughs> that was a, a labor of love and passion, and but freedom. And I think that's one of my true core values in life is freedom. And I, I guess that trickled through into the hooping too, your question before about like 
other teachers or students, like how, why I support their self-expression. I think because it's so important to me, like it's a core value to have freedom and that's a whole other podcast, but yeah, it does give you a sense of like, I'm doing this for a greater reason. And that whole, I'm doing this for a greater reason is something else that I wanted to talk to you about because so often we can have these things in our lives that we know make us feel good, like whether it's movement or meditation or like taking the energy to make yourself something really healthy and really delicious versus getting takeaway. (laughs) But when we often need that stuff the most is when like our energy reserves are running low and we're feeling really uninspired. Like how disciplined are you with yourself like making yourself do stuff that you know will make you feel better or have you got any like life hacks to kind of get around those barriers that we might build in our own minds Mm. I think just listening to you ask that question my body wants to say not everything has to be extreme now I didn't believe that you know, say 10 years ago, it's like everything must be extreme. Like for me to have a routine that supports me, I need to go to Ashtanga yoga and then hoop for two hours and then go to my job. Like all of the things were really, but life and bodies and energy levels shift. And so it's kind of about witnessing yourself. What am I up for today? What have, and, and how much, maybe how much time am I spending being down on myself saying, I haven't done the yoga, I haven't done the I haven't gone for the walk. I haven't, I've just looked at TikTok all day. Like how much time and energy are you spending there uh, versus "Mm, maybe I'll get up and have a bath. Oh, this feels good. Like tapping into your kind of pleasure and joy without guilt. (laughs) It's a creative process as well. Yeah. It's like we, most humans, I believe, I don't know, are you all the same as me? We chat to ourselves in our head all the time, in our body and our mind. There's so much racing around in there. And as someone who has kind of grown up in this this energy of like, you need to do more and keep going and keep hustling. And then social media is like, quick, you need to put out more content. So there's all of this external noise. And I guess it kind of goes back to seeing if we can quiet down those external factors and then just listen, like, what do I need right now? My back's hurting. My butt's hurting from sitting on this chair trying to write this copy or this caption. What do I need right now? Just even if that's like going out and getting some sunshine in my eyeballs, like it can be simple and subtle things that can make a big shift. And I guess as well, it's like that practice of knowing yourself. Yes. And knowing that, like, yes, I just need some sunshine. Like, I'm not going to get this done yes. staring at this screen for another two hours. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and you just get to know, yeah, you kind of – and hooping really helps with this. If you've got some – or if you've had some other physical practice in your life, you tend to tune in on the full spectrum of your body's sensations um, because you have been so – had this physical thing And yeah, you get to decide if you're going to (laughs) listen. And like one of the most amazing workshop experiences I've had in my life was your blindfolded hoop workshop, Ah. which was so about turning inwards and your inner experience. Like it was amazing. It was like headphones, blindfold at a hoop convention. So I don't know, like 50 people or a large group of people who somehow did not bump into each other through that. Would you like to share some of your inspiration for that workshop and like what you were thinking about as you're putting it together? Yes. Well, first of all, you're all magic. And also I've, I've 
again, been in so many spaces with so many hoopers or dancers, not just, not always hooping, like in five rhythms or we, we just have this sense of, of knowing where other bodies are in space, even if we are blindfolded. One of my greatest inspirations when I first started hooping was a hooper and is still a hooper called Baxter. And he created this whole kind of a whole hooping philosophy called the hoop path. And one of his huge personal practices that he also shared in his teaching was blindfolded hooping. And and to close down the sense of sight is a practice in lots of different modalities. So if you have not tried it, if you have not tried it in whatever you do, I don't know, maybe not cooking dinner, like maybe don't, <laughs> <laughs> maybe be safe with yourself. You will, ha- yeah, everyone's going to feel something different, but most people have these incredible experiences and breakthroughs because we intuitively start to tap into some of the other senses a little bit more heavily when we have our eyes open, we're looking at the ground, we're looking at other people, we're comparing, we just do. That's what we do without even knowing it. It's automatic. So when we shut that down, we give ourselves a greater sense in in all other areas. And then when we put music or, or some kind of guidance with that, for me, that it kind of takes me back to my dance floor, like dark dance floor really deep experiences of movement and flow. And so that that's kind of always my inspiration. And I feel so lucky and so blessed that I got those experiences in on the crazy dance floors on the just because there's nowhere to go. And so that's my inspiration for that workshop as well. There's nowhere to go but in. And and what you find in there is well, very exciting. <laughs> And then I guess the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, because we've had a conversation about this before, like when you have facilitated this experience with people and you've taken them to this really deep inner sense Mm. of who they are within themselves, like a lot of stuff can come up, a lot of emotional stuff can come up. And even if it's all positive, just re-emerging out into the world after that powerful experience can be like a jolt. Yes. Like how do you nurture people out of the experience as well as taking them in? Yeah, in the ideal situation where you're not on a, a like a timetable of a conference, it's stillness. It it's our natural go-to for so many of us in yeah, in the healing process or the recalibration, so coming to stillness. And that would always be my suggestion or my support and then beyond that. Every human's going to need their own way of of stepping out of of that space. Mm. And so I guess if you were facilitating a workshop, even in a packed schedule, like at a festival or something, like you would just allow a bit of space at the end of what you were doing to let people like gradually yeah. ground. and Yeah, it's really essential just to have that stillness. And there's there's lots of dance modalities or shamanic practices or there's so many different ways that humans and animals just innately know we come to stillness and silence and complete or or kind of close the container of practice. And I know now that you are now studying your Masters of Counselling, so mm-hmm. getting more and more into the, the inner realm of the mind as well as the body, though you've always been working with both. Like how have your experiences been so far with that and have you had any like little insights as to how that knowledge might kind of disseminate out into everything else that you do? Yeah, the insight is to keep moving. 
<laughs> it, it has reinforced how powerful in any way, even if it's a little pinky or, you know, a little booty wiggle or a shake. It doesn't have to be a wild hoop performance or a, a structured daily practice of, of, you know, kind of anything. But the body moves and the body holds so much. And that, in my way of thinking, it also holds the mind. It's not separate. It's like we, we, there's so many different ways of looking at it. And, and often, you know, we, we even have these, the, we speak about being stuck in your head or I'm in my mind and I need to drop down into my body, but I kind of see it as this oneness. And so the study, wow, she's big, she's heavy, she's a lot. And I'm so grateful that I have the movement practice to support me. So one other movement practice that I don't know if I've experienced, maybe I have in your classes, but I've just seen you kind of share about it online, is nonlinear movement. Yeah. Would you like to explain a bit about what that is? Yeah. One of my mentors is Michaela Boehm, and she is well a longtime trauma therapist and couples counsellor. I feel like she's also moved into like like kind of sensual healing. I think she was on some Gwyneth Paltrow, like she's going all celebrity. But my my great love of her is the nonlinear movement, which is really about kind of reprogramming the patterns and of movement and and stuckness in the body. It's a really gentle practice. So I've I talk about the dance laws and getting wild with the hoop and being really kind of yang and, and extra with movement and nonlinear is not any of that. And so it's such a beautiful it's just such a beautiful support and and really a lot of nonlinear starts like on hands and knees and uh, practice eyes closed for the whole time so a little bit of that blindfolded vibe and really just watching the patterns of movement and so I think like you were talking before about how some humans come to these movement spaces quite nervous to dance or perform or get the trick and nonlinear doesn't require any of that. It's really just unraveling the body and and moving in ways that are often non-habitual. So not the patterns that we know and love that we can build in the body, but just allowing like a new kind of vitality or or stillness or heaviness, whatever is present in the body to be there for the practice. And I'm not sure if it's a result of this movement practice or just who you are, but you are super inspiring to me as someone who has like walked a non-linear path through life. <laughs> like, because you really like you totally speak your truth and you like share what you're passionate about and you're very professional, but also not inside anyone else's cookie cutter. Like, <laughs> and I find that really inspiring, and it's been really inspiring for me how I want to do my business, and even though I teach something different, like the kind of energy yeah. that I want to bring into my classes. Mm -hmm. You've already shared a couple of people. Like, who inspires you? Mm. Thank you. Also, that was really kind and beautiful. Sometimes we don't. I talk about all of this witnessing and observing others, but we often don't take a moment to witness ourselves and. I really appreciate that. Thank you. That's so kind. Who inspires me? You know what? At the moment, cats inspire me. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. <laughs> We're very cat We're big cat people. <laughs> <laughs> so cats have obviously, you know, they're ancient, beautiful beings. And I am currently house sitting and there is a cat. And I've had cats like around my life and, and adored them from afar. But I'm just so blown away by their movement and just how they connect with humans. So yes, that's a new inspiration for me. 
over the years. Yeah, definitely. Michaela Boehm. There's another movement teacher who was Five Rhythms for a long time and now she has moved in to create another like 360 activation. Her name is Kate Scheller. She's from the UK, but in LA now, just wild, gritty, untethered movement. And this is without a hoop. And I think, yeah, that that's a big support and inspiration for me too. I've always been without a hoop. Like sometimes you can get stuck in these props and, and they, they inspire you to move in certain ways, but I'm always encouraging humans to explore there's there is unlimited ways for for all bodies to move in all different ways and this kind of five rhythms or non-linear or ecstatic dance gives human bodies that space yeah there's lots of really actually this weekend I'm going or tomorrow I'm going to the 20th anniversary of five rhythms in Melbourne so that's going to be exciting there's going to be lots of movers and groovers on the dance floor that's what inspires me humans moving in any way that they can to swing back to cats, I learned this <laughs> okay. week that Joseph Pilates, who invented Pilates, oh, yeah. was also inspired by cats. Oh, wow. Like he Makes a lot of sense. formulated a lot of his like rehabilitation movements on an internment camp on an island, like off England. And he there were feral cats on the island, wow. and he like looked at how the cats moved their spines and wanted to help people do that. So. Yes, cats. <laughs> cats. It's the real deal. Yes, I've been going to Pilates a bit recently with a friend and it's definitely, that all makes so much sense. Cats. <laughs> I've, I've got another cat. Thing. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's just a, you know, we, recently we got a second cat and I feel like the experience of having two cats is, is, mm. is so much more multiplied from just one, just because they, they have weird interactions between each other and it's... Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. And mm. it's so big brother, little sister vibes because Hart, the little cat, just like looks up to Nagano, the big cat, so much and kind of hassles him a bit. Yay. But she's really feisty as well. So she kind of does this like <laughs> alpha cat behavior towards him. So cute. So they've got their own dance going on. They do. They do. Right, so everyone needs two cats. Yes. And <laughs> the way that you can tell if your cats are family with each other is if they sleep top to tail. Oh. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, they're incredible creatures with so much to teach us. Mm. And I think if you need an example of living a life of pleasure and there bliss wherever you can yes. find it, <laughs> yes. cats are a great role model of this that. is <laughs> so true. Yeah, I, I'm feeling um, really lucky that I get to spend a lot of time just this hibernation of winter creating alongside this cat. And yeah, she just sleeps. She's like, touch me, love me, pat me, feed me, let me see sunshine. and do a little dance, rip up the carpet. I'm great. Yeah. <laughs> Life is good. Uh, <laughs> I must say you've come to Melbourne at a particularly cold time of year, especially from the Gold Coast. How's that? How's that thing? No, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. It's great. It, yeah, it was just – I think that's kind of like just living in that flow. I have that structure of – well, I'm studying and Hoop Lovers is, is doing its thing and I've, we've built that structure over the years and so I can take these moments of, of recalibration even if it is in cold, grey, windy Melbourne in the middle of winter. I love it. It's actually a really nice experience because when I lived here, I would leave at this time. 
I would just like run away, but there's no running away. And sometimes just to feel, it's just another sensory somatic experience of like really feeling cold. <laughs> Apparently there's lots of mental health benefits, like people have like cold showers and ice baths and things. Exactly. <laughs> it's just like walking down the street in an ice bath. It's wonderful. <laughs> You're so alive. <laughs> no, it's incredible. The community here is is like no other. So that's what keeps me warm. Yeah, it's mm. a wonderful town. I love it. It here. really is. Mm. Nice. Well, I guess we've got one more question and okay. that's a question we ask all our guests. Oh, yeah. So if you could distill everything that you've learned and everything that you teach down to one core essence, what do you think that one thing would be? We said it. It's freedom. Mm. Freedom in your movement and freedom, I guess, in, in your creativity, that kind of sweet structure and flow. It's, it's got to be, right? Oh, it's a battle some days, but I guess that's why we keep dancing, just for that expressive freedom in, in all things that we do. Hmm. Nice. Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's been and thank great. you for being such an inspiration and such a Absolutely. joy in my life. Aww, thank you. I feel this is like a really big moment. I feel like we've been kind of creating and working simultaneously and and now we get to share this. So thank you. And thank you for all of your kindness and sweetness and just, just being you. It's my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this conversation with Deanne as much as we did. You can find all of her links in our show notes. And if you're inspired to pick up a hula hoop, she has so many great YouTube videos that are suitable for brand new beginners. For more content and updates, you can find me on Instagram as Ryan loves yoga, and Joe can be found as Garden of Yoga. We love connecting with our listeners, so don't hesitate to reach out and share your thoughts. We'd like to express our gratitude to Go Soul for generously granting us permission to use their track, Baby Robots, as our theme song. Be sure to check out gosoul.bandcamp.com to discover more of their incredible music. A special shout out goes out to our Patreon supporters. Your continued support means the world to us and we are incredibly grateful. By joining our Patreon club for as little as $1 a month, you can help us cover the cost of editing and producing the podcast. If Patreon isn't your thing, there are other ways you can support us. Simply sharing this episode on social media, subscribing to us on platforms like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or even just reaching out to let us know your thoughts and feedback means the world to us. Once again, thank you for spending your precious time with us. We appreciate you more than words can express. He aroha nui, maua kia katoa, sending you big, big love. <laughs>